Hey, this is Creed Braden from The Office, and you're listening to That's What She Said. That's What She Said, episode 44, Job Fair. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! <laughs> Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time Pedal down, nowhere to go Welcome to episode 44 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the 13th and penultimate episode of season 4, entitled Job Fair, which originally aired Thursday, May 8th, 2008. Take my internship, please! It's job fair season in Scranton, PA, and Michael's attempts to lure the best and the brightest into the Dunder Mifflin summer program go about as well as... Well, pretty much anything else, Michael attempts. Jim, down in disgrace thanks to Ryan's dirty tricks, decides to try. Andy deals with the mean case of the nifty blisties. Kevin makes rent. Pam looks for a new job. And Duangela, well, they don't actually do anything, but man, the tension! Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos puts me at a disadvantage because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? Alright, and joining me at the water cooler again this week is our dear traveling salesman, Kevin Crossman. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, great, Matt. You know, I've been doing this show for a while, and I think this time I'll try to do something very bold that I haven't done before. <laughs> try. <laughs> All right. Well, we do appreciate that, Kevin. I know. Uh, I know. I will at least. It's getting. <laughs> it's been kind of hard to to carry you these last few episodes. But before we get into talking about this, Kevin, I want to put something down here on the line. I want to read an email that I wrote to you earlier today. I just watched this for the second time, and holy shit, it is brutal. Michael is just so relentlessly acting like an utter asshole. He's an asshole to Pam, to Dwight, to Pam. Did I mention Pam? Usually I love the episodes written by Eisenberg and Stupnitsky, but this one was a monumental stinker. Maybe I'll change my mind on the third viewing. So, man, uh, apparently early Saturday afternoon, Matt, was not too thrilled <laughs> with some of the parts of this episode. Um, I want to say, before I get into this, though, I have changed my mind, despite what, what it seemed like at the time. I, I have... I've come to understand the episode more than I think I did before, uh, and, and sort of what it is. It's not really, this is not a funny, really big, funny, laugh-out-loud, jokey episode. This, it has very specific purposes. It's very specifically geared towards our finale plot. There are some really good moments in here that I, I liked and have liked since Thursday, and we'll talk about that in a little while here. That was sort of my take, and, and I have changed my mind a little bit, like I said. Job fair for you, did it live up to the potential, or, as I said, was it a monumental stinker? Well, I would say taken as a whole, it far exceeded the expectations of what its potential could and should be. That doesn't mean that everybody who was rowing in the boat was doing an equal job. I think that the Jim storyline in particular took up some of the slack from the Michael storyline, which I agree is weak. 
But overall, even on a second viewing, I actually liked this episode a lot and really enjoyed it. So I guess we do have a little bit of a disagreement this week. All right. Well, like I said, I'm I'm going to back off a little bit here, and let's start from, from the positives. I really enjoyed the Jim plotline as well. After a couple of episodes of, of seeing him be another kind of failure at his job uh, when he tries to be boss, here we get to see him go out and make a big sale, similar to maybe Michael uh, making the big sale at the Chili's. Uh, Jim mm-hmm. here steps up and and gets the big sale, and he's motivated for the right reasons. He is going to try and <laughs> try for once to uh, just all this stuff kind of leading up to the marriage and the engagement and the proposal and everything else that they're sort of really hinting at for the <laughs> season finale. I'm still not sure if that's going to happen or not, but I guess we'll see. So I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the Angela and Dwight scenes, despite the fact that, like I referred to in the opening, nothing at all happens between them. And so many people on the blog page and, and some people were complaining that nothing happened, that they were expecting some big something to happen. But I actually loved the fact that they didn't do anything. It was just so mundane and just the uh, little visual gags of them standing there right behind each other at the copy machine. But man, I don't know. You're just waiting for something to happen. It seemed perfect to me, though, for those characters. So really enjoyed that scene. Actually liked the idea of Pam going back to her high school. I don't think they kind of lived up maybe to the potential. I wanted to see more of her maybe interacting with people at the school, maybe talking to some of her old teachers, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is a nitpick, and I know a bunch of people are, are just going to tell me that I'm crazy and I'm off the wall, but I wanted her to make some kind of mention of Roy at the job uh. fair. Because the writers have done their best to just erase him from the series since he left. And if ever they were going to mention him, though, I mean, Pam and Roy were high school sweethearts. You know, they were engaged. And now Jim's been talking about engagement. She's back at her high school. It just seemed natural to me that somehow he would have come up in the conversation uh, in some way. Did that break the episode for me? Did that ruin it for me or something? No, of course not. But... It, you know, it would have added kind of the, to the rich tapestry here that we have, the storylines and the continuity. And I, I, I don't really know why they're so insistent on just totally never talking about that guy ever again. I don't know. I, I think that I would agree with you that it would have been nice if the, some of the old teachers or somebody would have recognized her. And then in that context, mentioning Roy or not mentioning him would have been something I think that you could have nitpicked or, or not about. But they didn't really touch on much of that aspect in the storyline and maybe that was for time reasons or whatever I agree with you that was an unfulfilled potential but at the same point she's moving on with her life and Matt I think you should too Roy he's a distant memory at this well, point well I'm not saying that like I said I'm not trying to make a big deal out of this but I, it's just a little throwaway lines you know I'd like to just acknowledge that it existed for the longtime fan the reason for the tone of my earlier email that I read to you was just to the fact that the, the, the job fair plotline, it is pretty rough and it is very unfunny. And it's one of those situations where Michael is, as we've seen the last few weeks, he is just kind of unrelenting in his assholery, if I can coin a phrase. Um, <laughs> he, just like with the dating stuff. He nitpicks and criticizes the the kids that are coming to his booth. Some of the people on the blog page kind of thought it was really odd. It wasn't in character for Michael to have such a minimalist uh, conceptual booth 
And I could agree with that to a certain extent. I mean, that didn't bother me all that much, but it just, it was so negative. And the way he's so mean to Pam and the way that he's just such a, such an asshole at first just bothered me a lot. And it it really made me dislike the episode on the whole. But like I said, I came to kind of understand what was going on with this. And while it still really wasn't any funnier, it made more sense when I got to this point. Here's the point what I'm talking about. This is all about Michael and his mind and his expectations and his inability to really kind of understand anyone else but himself, I think. He loves his job. He loves his company. And as far as he's concerned, everyone else should too. And there's mm-hmm. there's no real reason. Why should he have a big fancy booth, dude? This is Dunder Mifflin. This is the greatest company in, in Pennsylvania, you know? Uh it's everything that he loves, and it's fun and great and everything else. And you got the office hottie right there you can look at, and, you know, you might score with her. Just everything else in his mind, he just simply can't jump that gap. He can't jump it to understand that everyone else doesn't get it. He just can't express it. He's kind of, like, gets more angry and kind of more frustrated the less he can express, I guess, what he's trying to get across. And so at the end, we do get a really painful microphone speech, and Michael is never... I I don't know if there's ever been a microphone speech that has ever been (laughs) anything less than completely horribly, awkwardly terrible. Well, you know, I would say... I I agree with all of what you're saying, first of all. I think that... It is all about what's inside Michael's head and the whole family thing. And and I think that aspect of the storyline did come together at the end with the Jim storyline very well. I guess the one part, well, I guess I have two disagreements. First, on a second viewing, I actually laughed a lot at some of the stuff in this storyline, some of the little lines. I actually was quite amused by some of them, and we'll get to them probably in the clips. But so in that respect, more successful than my first viewing. And then secondly, we keep talking about how the office should be uh, skewering these job-related topics. And a job fair is something that companies deal with. So let's take the characters from the office and put them in a job fair. What is the likely scenario? Yes, Michael acting like an ass. He has to be kind of true to his his storyline. Now, we'll talk about the deleted scenes, and there was a deleted scene storyline that arguably better than what was the storyline included in the actual episode so in that respect that last speech was really brutal and not as funny as some of the other stuff and you could have probably pulled that out and put something else in well i I initially see this is the weird thing about the deleted scenes kevin is that the first deleted scene took the edge off michael and it made him a lot less of an ass because he really seemed to be actually selling the company. Yes. He's actually yes. getting someone interested in the company, and so it didn't make him seem like such a loser, and it didn't make him seem so terrible. But then, the second one. then the second lead, the <laughs> second scene is right after that. Then right when you're thinking, oh, Michael's doing a good job. Oh, Michael's got this kid's attention. Michael's a good salesman. Michael's actually being successful and sort of sharing his enthusiasm. Well, then it then it cranks up to the fact that. He, it's even worse than the one they put in the story. He's just, he stalks no, I, the kid. He goes to the bathroom and and hides out. And the you know the kid ends up telling him you're a loser and I won't I don't want to work for your lame paper company and and uh, yeah. everything else. And so man, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm of mixed mind about that. I, I, the first scene I think would have been nice. That's what I'm talking about. Just the just the first one. <laughs> it's just I mean, like I said, I, you know I like the character and I, I don't want to see him be such. a such a hundred percent ass you know he can be a 90 percent ass just give me a little uh is all i'm asking just a little <laughs> little softening or something at the end and then at 
as we said before, at the end, just like we've already, I, I feel like we got this same kind of thing the last couple of weeks where Michael almost learned something, but then he turn at the last minute he he doesn't. <laughs> You know, he's like, well, I almost thought that there was something wrong with me. But then <laughs> I decided, oh, looking at Jim, Jim's so happy to be here. And, uh, you know, so everything I thought about myself is all, you know, obviously I was wrong. Yeah, because <laughs> that's the, exactly the reason why Jim is so happy, that he made that sale so he could be part of the Dunder Mifflin family. And just like everything else, Michael 100% misses the point as far as why Jim is there. I think that's going to lead into a lot of hurt feelings if Jim in the finale does leave. I think that's really, Michael's going to really take that as a personal insult that Jim is uh, rejecting the family. It, it would be. Jim uh, is his protege. So let's uh, just go ahead and dive right into the rest of the episode here. I want to start off with the Jim and the Pam and Andy and Dwight plotline. I'm going to kind of mix them all together. So like we said, now Jim has been wanting to propose for the last few weeks and He's actually being much more proactive in this than I guess we maybe would have imagined. Today, I am meeting a potential client on the golf course because Ryan put me on probation. You remember Ryan? He was the temp here. Yeah, and uh, it is not a good time for me to lose my job since I have some pretty big long-term plans in my personal life with Pam that I'd like her parents to be psyched about. So I am about to do something very bold at this job that I've never done before. Try. Just like you, Kevin, like I said, I appreciate the effort. <laughs> One of the things in here, and this is, you know, it's a good setup and it gives him good motivation for why why he's actually giving a shit for, ch- for a change. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of people on the blog page brought this up, Kevin. How do we go from a verbal warning to I'm on probation? Do we miss a step in there or is Jim just kind of exaggerating? I think that it is possible that Jim is uh, paraphrasing, for lack of a better term, or perhaps the verbal warning had some sort of probationary aspect to it in, you know, some sort of uh, discussion then that Jim had with Toby afterwards. I don't know. If I would, this is not the word that would freak me out in terms of, oh, my God, this is some sort of sea change in terms of <laughs> what's happening to Jim. Well, it just seems a lot more, I guess people thought that the word probation is a lot more serious than the way it was played out in the last episode. And, I, I mean, I agree. I'm not going to worry about it either way. I mean, the the point of the fact is that anytime you're reprimanded by your boss, you you want to get yourself off the watch list. It, but Brian was very, very serious about what he was doing. Right. I mean, that make, I think we all agree that Brian wants Jim out and in the worst way. So Jim knows his back is against the wall, even if it wasn't a formal probation. Well, but I got to tell you, this talking head may be the best talking head ever on the show. I just loved everything about the way he talked, some of the funny lines about Ryan. He was a temp here. Mm -hmm. It set everything up perfectly. Uh, And, man, I tell you, I just love that talking head. And to me, this is why I can't really speak too badly about this episode because there are a few moments here, and we'll get to another one in the Michael storyline, that just that moment itself raised the bar so high that even <laughs> if the rest of it sort of weighted everything down, it still was an above-par episode for me. Well, I, I mean, I agree. I, I, this is the one plot line, and, and I was back to cheering for Jim like I had always done in Season 2. So really the highlight of the episode for me. And I want to go back to that and just say... I don't really dislike this episode. I just, it wasn't really that, I, I think it had a, a lack of laughs. 
but if you look at it as more of kind of a maybe a little more dramatic, a little more leading into that plot line for the finale, it serves its purpose. So, I mean, Certainly. I agree there's a lot of there are a few highlights and this is definitely one of them and while we're talking about Jim and Ryan, let's uh let's go back and and refer to that third deleted scene from last week where they actually make it quite clear what's going on because we still have a lot of people saying that they think that Toby had something to do with him getting in trouble and uh, a few other things. But in that third deleted scene from last week, we saw Jim and Toby kind of talking about it. And then Ryan uh, really kind of laying it on the line that, yeah, he's gunning for Jim. That made it a lot more, I think, a lot more serious than, than it was originally aired because he sort of had this attitude like, Hey, it's no big deal, man. It don't get defensive. You know, it's just a warning. Kind of mm-hmm. thing. But uh, that that scene made it, I think, a lot more a lot more serious. All right. Well, Jim is going out to golf, and he's not going alone. With him are the two best buds of the last few episodes, Andy and Kevin. Again, a lot of people on the blog page said, "Why are these guys here? What are they doing here? You know, why is Kevin here? He's not in sales. Why is Andy here? He doesn't even golf anyway." Ah, uh, I don't know. All I can say they is... Need, they, they need two more bodies for a foursome. That's it. Exactly. So. And, he, and Jim said, who wants to go golfing? He's going to choose his buddy, Kevin. And you would think, based on his, uh, his, his upbringing, that Andy would be right for a game of golf. But as well, we soon learn, he, he is not. He just wants to get his knot on. Mr. McGuire. It's been a couple of years. Hey, Jim, how are you? Nice to see you, man. Oh, no. My grandfather would be spinning in his urn if he knew that I was out here with a Dartmouth boy. You take that shirt off right now or I will take it off for you, sir. I am totally and completely kidding. <laughs> Andrew Bernard, Cornell, 95. So, McGuire, Dartmouth, 74. Got some blisties. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Hit about 1,200 balls last night in preparation for today, so hands are a little tender. <laughs> It's actually not funny at all. It's incredibly painful. Hey, let's make it interesting. Say, uh, ten bucks a hole? Great. What are we talking? Skins, AC Ducey, Bingo Bango Bongo, Sandys, Barkies, Arnie's, Wolf. What? I'm gonna take this petty cash that I got from Oscar and turn it into next month's rent. Well, I always enjoy a good game of Bingo Bango Bongo. I don't know about you, Kevin, but... Yeah, I've never played Bingo Bango Bongo, but apparently it is an actual game you would play in golf, so all of those games, and I guess Kevin is uh, a pro or something. Well, he needs some help, I think, with his uh, gambling addiction, perhaps. We need to get, maybe that's why Stacy left him. (laughs) I liked a lot of what was in in that whole storyline there. Again, the, the blister thing, as was mentioned by numerous people, very familiar for, uh, Brandy, similar to the nipple problem that he had in Fun Run. And, yeah, it's a little over the top, but I thought some of the lines in there were kind of funny. It's actually not funny at all. It's incredibly painful. <laughs> I just think that's funny. Yeah, so. well, Andy, again, we've been talking about this the last three weeks, that we're getting a bunch of slapstick kind of little things in there, and Ed Helms is really kind of taking the uh, – taking the lead as being the physical comedian on the show. Maybe that spinoff is going to be some sort of cartoon, live-action <laughs> combination. Yeah, well, that could be. He's definitely a very cartoonish character. Now, the other thing about Andy, though, is that just like we saw in Traveling Salesman last year, he is horrifically 
terrible at sales. Yes. How does he get? How did he get this job? I mean, I'm, maybe his rich dad is friends with David Wallace or some, or uh, you know, the, one of the old people in the company. I don't know. It's just he's horrible. He's very everything out of his mouth is just terribly awkward. <laughs> you know, super. Uh, oh, you better take that off right now. <laughs> Which the guy's obviously just so uncomfortable with his whole presence that uh Yeah. He's on a cold streak. He choked in the <laughs> couple episodes ago trying to meet with the five families. I, he's just not doing that good. And unless people enjoy his a cappella singing, I don't know what he has to bring. Well that's it, man. We haven't seen his best feature come up since he wooed Angela, you know. Um I demand more a cappella singing. And speaking of Ed Helms singing, we'll uh, get to that in the Jim's iPod segment. Uh, so that's the thing. Andy is game. He is not a golfer. Uh, has a bunch of nifty blisties here. And he's ready to go, uh, ready to fight to the death, the Dartmouth guy, I guess. Kevin is uh, looking to parlay his petty cash into rent money. And, well, Jim is not going to let this go. You know what, Jim? I'm not really looking to change things up right now. I just came out here to get out of the office a little bit, so why don't we just play, okay? Absolutely. Will do. So I guess I'll just work on my short game. Hey, can't really talk now. What's up? Just checking in. How's it going? Uh, we'll see. I just drove 20 miles round trip back to the office to get Michael a single sheet of white paper. So I could have just had him fax it to me, I guess. <laughs> oh, I like you. Talk to you later. All right. What if I bring down shipping costs? Even with free shipping? Doesn't work. It's not in the stars, Jim. Okay. We had some fun, and I uh, think I paid for it. So let me just get my last shot in there. Is there anything you can do for me? Say what? My fiscal year ends in two months? Let's talk then. Sound good? So Jim there, at first, you know, obviously gets shot down and is going to just let it go. And then talks to Pam and gets really a lot more, res- you know, a lot more resolve. He's got to get it, you know. He's got to get the sale. And so he keeps giving it the old college try. And straight out of the old uh, Zig Ziglar salesmanship handbook, man. you got to get through three no's, Kevin, before you get a yes. Really? Well, I guess uh, I learned <laughs> something today. Well, that's uh, you know I'm not, I'm not a big sales expert, but that that is one of the big key points of sales is that no one wants to say yes on the first time you ask them anything. You know you have to kind of break them down and keep working on them, keep working on them. So Jim, to his credit, he's got a goal and he's got a reason for this sale, and he does not let it go. And uh, <laughs> I just we get some more of those really ridiculous scenes. I didn't play it in there because it's just mostly visual, but. Uh, <laughs> Like I said, what did, you, what did you think about Andy uh, driving his golf cart? <laughs> I thought that was uh, funny. I, I thought that was really funny. Not, you know, maybe not quite as funny as Meredith getting hit in the face with a football, but almost. And it, I know it is kind of out of character for the office, but I don't care. It was. I I, I laughed. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was, like I said, it was one of those things where, you know, it's just like watching somebody get hit in the nuts. It's funny. <laughs> You're not really sure why you laughed at it exactly. It's pretty lowbrow, but you know what? This is stupid. I fell in the sand trap. I I even like Andy's line. Like everyone, I hated golf as a kid. Like everyone has played golf as a kid, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Um, and just uh, him, and then him trying to drink his beer with his blistery hands, and uh, <laughs> he's like the worst 
worst possible human being to be in sales. I, I just, I don't know. How does he end up being Jim's number three in the office? I don't know. All right, well, again, right where we left off at the end of that clip, then Jim gets his third turn down, but uh, damn it, this is for Pam. You know, it's a tough thing seeing a grown man take six shots to get out of a sand trap, but I had to give Phil credit for not quitting, which is what I told him. I also told him that I don't quit either, and I'd call him every single day until he gave me his business, which he then did after 15 minutes of me blocking his car. So I am now his paper supplier, and I shot a 102 today, so I'm feeling pretty good. Sears, you closed it? I closed it. Um, congratulations to you, thank sir. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Appreciate it. Well done. Nice thank you. Job. You know what? Screw this. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Stupid bound chicka wow wow stuff in the background. <laughs> you know what? This is it. And I love that scene. I love that. That was the first time. And Kevin, I was saying this to you before that. I just got an email from someone this last week complaining about how they were so in love with Jim and Pam and so invested in the in the romance during the first two seasons, and now that they're together, it's just it sort of fizzled for them. It, we haven't really seen a lot of romance. We missed their initial courtship period. We missed the Christmas holiday. We missed Valentine's Day. We missed any of the kind of like chances for them to show those little moments where they would buy gifts for each other or do nice things for each other and we really haven't gotten a lot of romance out of this couple this season and this for me here this last little moment was something i've been sorely missing i i love that scene i loved it too and they haven't been pranking as much either working together in pranks that was another thing that's been missing this year so i agree with you i think that that, that has been missing and this is a welcome return and let's see what happens you know moving forward now i would say that the proposal plot lines over the last few episodes, that falls into the same territory for me, and I've been enjoying that. And maybe it's the kissing that has a certain different quality for other people, but um, I think some of that's been there, but it's definitely raised up a notch at this point. Well, I just, I mean, I just miss the stuff like, and I know that this is how it goes in relationships, that when you're trying to get the girl, that the guy does all these really nice things and buys the flowers and all this stuff. And then once you get the date, once you go out with her, then you kind of stop. I just kind of miss the interaction where Jim would do something for her, like, you know, buy her uh, or get her the teapot with all the little special things inside and, and, you know, do something to brighten her day and vice versa. We just haven't really seen any of that stuff. Other than the diamond engagement ring that he bought. Well, yeah, but that's just only between us, really. She doesn't really know that. She still sort of doesn't really know if he's serious or not. I, I agree. So I'm glad. I was just, that, that was my point. It's not really about the kissing or whatever. It's just more about the fact that it was very, you know, it was kind of like second season, you know? L little uh, jam action in there, and I was quite happy to have it so let's talk about this last scene now and i guess i was kind of torn whether this should go in the michael plotline or in the jim plotline here but uh in the end i kind of decided to put it in here because as you said this is all building up to this supposed proposal in the season finale kevin and i think that they're doing everything they can to, to make us see that this isn't going to happen pam at the job fair is kind of looking for something else in her life. I was just wondering what kind of jobs do you guys have? Are you interested in graphic design? Yeah. Uh, I should let you know right away this is just an entry-level job. Uh, it's really basic. We're looking for like a self-starter and uh, obviously we're looking for someone who knows Photoshop. 
Andrew Weaver, uh, Corel Painter, Illustrator, After Effects, all the basics. I don't know any of those. <laughs> it's actually not super complicated, but if you're really serious about graphic design, I'm thinking about New York or Philadelphia. They got amazing programs out there for design. New York or Philadelphia. Yeah. Thanks, sure. and uh, I'll, I'll look into those. You should. New York or Philadelphia. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. So, irony here where just where Jim is starting to try and putting forth effort into his job, Pam is looking for a way out. This has led to a lot of speculation from a lot of people that, oh, they're going to move away and this is going to be the, you know, Jim Loves Pam is going to be the spinoff series. I highly disagree that that's going to happen as far as the spinoff. I guess stranger things have happened, but uh, I don't know. What are you, what are you uh, predicting that's going to take place here, Kevin? Well, I wouldn't imagine a office show without Jim and Pam, but they sure are making it look like she's getting out of town. And if she's getting out of town, presumably Jim isn't going to be stupid enough to leave Pam again. And certainly with the expectation that Ryan will be fired, one could easily imagine Jim getting some sort of new job promotion in hmm, Philadelphia or New York. Uh, so well, we already I, I, said, I said already it wouldn't surprise me that, that – that that's what the spinoff is, but uh, and it's sure looking more and more likely. But I agree with you; it seems so crazy to think about it in office without Jim and Pam. Well, but you, they're you certainly leading us that way. There's no way you could have Jim and Pam leave the show because you'd basically be ripping the heart out of the show. Yeah, you have you'd have the comedy and you'd have the other silly stuff. But what made the office and what has always made it special to me, anyway, is that you have the the comedy and then you have the heart. And Jim and Pam have always been the heart, and maybe. Maybe that's not the same anymore now that the romance has kind of cooled a little bit, but um, they can't, I don't think they can do it. I, I can't see how they can take them away. You don't think Angela and Dwight could be the heart of the show? Never. They're, they're cartoons, <laughs> and that's, that's fine. We, we talked about this last week a little bit where their, their relationship is more cartoonish. It's kind of, we, we accept it being kind of silly, and we don't mind it that much, and that's why I mentioned that it would be funny if they were married. It would be fine if they were kind of engaged on the show, because we don't really have a whole lot of stakes in their relationship. It's kind of a joke, you know, and, and that's fine. Um, I don't think that we feel that same way about Jim and Pam. I, they are, you know, like I said, Jim was the guy I, I wanted to be. He was the guy I was rooting for all those years, and for a lot of people, it's that's been one of the main reasons why they watch the show, and I can't see that. I can't see it happening. But like you said, they're sure as hell making it seem like that's going to happen. Well, just not just on the Jim and Pam side, but also as you were saying earlier, on the Michael side, he is ratcheting up the abuse, and she's looking more and more perturbed. So she wants to leave and do something new with her life, and at the same time, why is she sticking around and living up to all this abuse from Michael? Right. I don't know. Well, and that's the thing. It's always been the always been the, the catch twenty two of the show is that it made sense for Jim and Pam to be there when Pam didn't really have anything else in her life. It made sense for Jim to be there because he wanted to be with Pam. Uh, once the two of them get to a point where they don't need to be there anymore, then the writers are kind of getting themselves into a corner. Because what do you do? What do you do to keep two people in this crappy office, in this crummy job when? As Michael points out, Jim could do anything, and Pam could do anything, and she wants to do graphic design and wants to go to uh, design school or whatever the case may be. So how on earth are you going to keep them in this office? It gets a little more, maybe a little harder to believe, I guess, as time goes by. But then 
if you follow the rationale that you know they wouldn't be there, well, then you don't have a show anymore. So that's right. What do you do? I guess we are all peaked of interest for the finale next week. <laughs> yes, indeed, and uh, we we will see. Have our minds blown, I'm sure, by what's going to happen. Well, let's go back to uh, the Michael plotline here, and this is. The, really the sort of the main plot line, but again, it was the one that to me was sort of, it was just like a funeral. I mean, it was so somber. It was really kind of depressing. But uh, let me let Michael kick it off. Today I'm headed over to the job fair at Valley View High School to find some new interns. Want to get some fresh blood? Um, euthanize this place? Okay, here's what we're going to do. I am going to instruct the kids about management and sales. Oscar will be in charge of accounting. Pam will be eye candy. No, and also because that is your alma mater. Uh, Daryl will hire some kids to the warehouse. We don't have to worry about internships with them because they definitely ain't going to college. What college did you go to, Mike? Let's go! Zing. That's a nice kind of throwback to the fire episode where Michael's kind of talking about who, you know who else didn't go to college? <laughs> uh, Trace McGrady. Oh, right. Uh, LeBron James. So it's kind of, I guess, in that little little dig referral back to that uh, fact that Michael never went to college. Especially the way he's looking down upon the warehouse workers and, and all that. And <laughs> I think that's a great line from Daryl. And uh, I also, that euthanized line, again, that is the thing that just lifted this whole storyline up for me because I <laughs> love that line. It was just a typical Michael misuse of words. We've seen that so many times before. I guess it didn't... Uh, didn't thrill me as much as it did you, apparently, but I'm glad to know that Kelly is dating Barack Obama, apparently. <laughs> and that answers a bunch of questions. There, there's that question again where she was so super pissed off at Ryan the last time, and then finally we get the reference back to their relationship again. So apparently it's still going strong, and he's still putting up with her for all that junk in the trunk, I guess. Like we talked about earlier in the episode here, Kevin, we get uh, when they get to the job fair, then Michael kind of... <laughs> outlines his big plan for their booth and uh, despite what a lot of people might think as far as Michael's extravagance and his love for the company and a lot of people on the blog commented that they didn't really buy into this well Michael went in a different direction with the booth and I'll let him explain a little over the top don't you think show them what you brought Mike um that's all we brought. This is all we need. We'll see. Yes, we will see, Oscar. We will see because a blank sheet of paper equals endless possibilities. Conceptual. All right. We are open for business. Man, I don't know about you. I When I was in high school, we never had any kind of job fairs like that. And I, I work in high school now. I've never We've never had anything like that here either, so... That's pretty fancy, I gotta say. I don't know what the Papa shot and all that stuff was for, but uh it was pretty good. And you know, Valley View High School is in Archbold PA, which is ten miles outside of Scranton, so it's a real high school. And uh yeah, I I thought it was fair. You know, I've seen enough of these sort of job fair things and that I think that if Oscar and Daryl and Pam had been going along with Michael's vision, they actually could have made something out of this booth. It's always easier to have the booth babes or something like that, the <laughs> basketball hoops. Certainly that is a no-brainer, but it could have been interesting if they, you know, the other people had gotten on board with Michael's vision. Now, of course, Michael shoots himself in the foot by insulting everybody before they go, especially Pam. So 
it's not. I guess I can't really blame Oscar, especially and Daryl, for kind of being stick in the muds about the whole thing. But at the same point, they're not really being team players either. And I guess this is sort of a common theme and or critique of mine. But uh, in any case, yeah, this is a little strange, even even for Michael to go with the one piece of paper thing. <laughs> Well, the bare bones conceptual booth is, I mean, it's just by comparison, it's got the little sign, little tiny sign for Dinner Mifflin <laughs> in the background and nothing. It's four people sitting there on a table with one piece of paper. And, um, yeah. Well, I think not... that's the thing, right? If they were if they were doing something, if they, if one person was maybe standing outside and sort of draw people into the thing and ask people, hey, do you know what this is? It's a white piece of paper. No, it's a Unlimited metaphor for your vision. Yeah, and so you know, I think that the good thing about this storyline again is that it's not the typical over-the-top Michael Scott. So in that respect, it is kind of nice to change a pace. Oh, dude, but I just. But at the same point, yeah, this is a little strange, and it's only going to get stranger as we go along. Well, let me. I just thought of this right this second, but how could there not be like a constant streaming video of the Dunder Mifflin Michael Scott commercial? What what other better sales tool do you need to get people interested in Dunder Mifflin? Well, you know, I can't argue at that point. That would be very uh, good, wouldn't it? And that's sort of what a lot of people mention, too. Is this, you know, Michael's been such a big guy making like lame videos and making like uh, you know the rap. <laughs> The Scranton PA rap and all that stuff and the yep. hell that that was a great local ad and that that sh- that, that would have uh, drawn in some of these jaded teens perhaps lured them in <laughs> as uh, as Michael says and you know yeah that is kind of the point here that no one does try and when Pam actually does have someone that's a little bit interested well he's not quite up to Michael's standards. There's some filing, restocking of the supply shelves. Hello. So, hi. Can I talk to you for a sec? Excuse me. This is Michael, my boss. Yeah. Justin. Hey. Um. Remember we talked about only the best and the brightest. He's nice and he seems interested. He's totally wrong. Yeah. Hey. Listen. I don't think that a handsome, funny, smart, funny-looking kid like you should limit himself. You can do whatever you want to do. You could be a classy janitor or a cashier with dignity or a migraine worker. Maybe for you, paper should be more of a hobby. Sorry for wasting your time. Oh, no problem. I actually love that speech. The more that I, dignity. The more that I hear, the more that I hear that I, I love that speech. Now I, I'll, I'll agree that Michael is being an asshole. And again, this is this whole job fair thing is is really an extended metaphor for his kind of dating troubles as well. And it mm-hmm. gets really obvious later on. Same thing here. You know, Michael is looking for that perfect woman. Can't find her here. He's looking for the cool kid to be the intern. And, and this. Uh, this this kid here, Justin, is the you know the teenage equivalent of Pam's landlady. Not not hot enough for Michael uh, in the yeah, office. Yeah, way way too many pimples for what Michael's looking for. <laughs> Although, did you did you recognize that actor? Well, one of the people on the blog page said he was somehow involved in High School Musical or something, but I don't know. He was Frederick Crane on Frasier. Oh, okay. So anyway, there you go. <laughs> Little Freddie, all grown up and full of acne. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, um, you know, and that's the thing though. I just love. That. I actually love that line. You know, I love the stuff that he says to me. You can be a cashier with dignity. <laughs> um, migraine worker. That's a little lame, perhaps. But, but even so, I mean, you know, he's like, "Well, I'm sorry for wasting your time." Hey, not a problem. <laughs> that's okay. 
<laughs> so, yeah, that kid was pretty bitter. <laughs> yeah, well, as well he should be, perhaps. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. I mean, really, what is the enticement to working at Dunder Mifflin there? Not much, as we find out later in the, in the speech. You don't even get any credit or any pay or anything else. So uh, Michael's really banking on the hottie philosophy, apparently, to draw the kids in. He uses that one quite a lot. And like we were just saying before about heaping the abuse on Pam, this it seems pretty obvious that he must be, the writers must be having him do this because, because of the finale, to give us and give her a reason to leave uh it's been coming like so fast and furious where michael's just kind of slamming pam lately that uh i know you you're quite fond of that so you didn't mind it at all but it seemed like it's really been building up no i would agree that it has although and and i i did not understand the line i would never say this to her face but she's a wonderful and gifted person why would he not (laughs) want to say that to her face i don't that's what i just don't understand that's michael for you (laughs) <laughs> and this is the thing. This is this is where I really kind of started to understand what was going on here. Michael is so disappointed that, like I said, that no one understands. No one gets it. No one feels the love that he has for this company. And, and he gets no visitors to his booth. And Justin writes on the one piece of paper, <laughs> which then forces Pam on a cross-country trek for another piece of paper. But... You know, he's so depressed and he's down and he's just kind of sitting there cross-legged on this table while everyone walks around him. And, well, he reflects on all the other companies in the job fair. Hello there. What is this company? Well, it's funny that you should ask because it's really more than a company. Dunder Mifflin Paper. Thanks. Damn it, Oscar. Yeah, I'm trying to lure these kids into my booth, but uh, kids are very wary of being lured these days. Thank you, Dateline. All of these jobs suck. I would rather live jobless on a beach somewhere off the money from a large inheritance than have to work in any one of these crap holes. They suck. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I would probably rather live on a beach living off the interest of a large inheritance as well. Well, I don't know. I guess if you want to take the easy way out. (laughs) But... You know, yeah, it's it's a little bizarre. I think he is really trying to fill the void, the emotional void of his romantic relationships, and now he's trying to, you know, put that on the job, which he's always clung to as his solid base of emotional appeal. So, yeah, he's he's a little in the deep end here, and uh, it's, it's going from bad to worse, and uh, I think it's going to get a lot worse here in a second. Well, and this is, I mean... Uh, just kind of going off what you said there, this is Michael, uh, just like in his love life, he's getting more and more desperate, and no one's coming by, no one will stop and talk to him. Oscar and Daryl and Pam are basically doing absolutely nothing to to draw anybody into the company. Um, you know, you, I thought Daryl was trying to hire some workers, you know? You'd think he, he'd at least be trying to work the floor a little bit. Probably sit on some hotties. <laughs> well, he was down there shooting baskets, so <laughs> who knows? He might have been... Uh, putting the moves on but still um at this point then in the in the job fair the the fair is closing and michael hasn't gotten as much as a nibble from anyone all day except for good old justin and uh suddenly michael has changed his tune justin he's the most important thing in my life right now (laughs) i want you to meet my family come on oscar martinez this is daryl Feldman. And you already met her, Van Beasley, office hottie. She will do you. <laughs> no, no, but she has already dated two guys in the office that we know of, so this could be number three. You never know. 
I would never say this to her face, but she is a wonderful person and a gifted artist. Why, why wouldn't you say that to her face? So, what do you think? Would you do me the honor of spending the summer with us? You, you didn't want me before. Mm. That's what you said. No, I didn't. You were, you you were kind of a jerk to me. I am... And I'm, I'm going to go now. So uh, the first time through, I wasn't really paying much attention to that. But like I said, man, this is such a weird metaphor for, like, whatever, all this stuff that's going on. Now we have Michael basically asking <laughs> asking Justin to marry him, you know, to come yeah. join his company, um, meet my family, and, uh, <laughs> you know, will you do me the honor of working for us? <laughs> and uh, just like Jim is going to be next week. Michael is shot down. Oh, boy. Well, yes, that was not the least bit creepy at all, was it? Uh, yeah. Michael, is, he's crazy. I, you know, I, this was the part that I really didn't like so much, and I just felt uncomfortable, and there wasn't a lot of humor there either. So I, I, I'm actually glad to see Justin just sort of give it back to him in a very uh, direct way so that maybe Michael someday will learn his lesson. Well, but that's... I mean, to me, that's not really anything new because it's just exactly the same way that the uh, the landlady puts up with all the stuff and then says something at the end, you know, you're incredibly rude. And that's true. Kind of the same thing. So we, I mean, we've seen that before with people just kind of reacting to Michael and telling him, you know, oh, you're a jerk or whatever. And, and it was just weird. And, and I'm I'm wondering if this is going to play into <laughs> the ending of the finale. You know, this whole weird weird marriage thing in desperation, and it parallels Michael's love life desperation, and it parallels, you know job desperation perhaps i don't know if it's going to maybe lead him into doing something rash next week in the finale as far as his love life and other stuff goes but it's kind of interesting i guess how they tried to, to weave all this stuff together i mean uh definitely a little odd plot line there for a job fair to kind of mix that with the marriage proposal but uh yeah. I don't know. only only michael scott well as eighth hour looms and the job fair is ending michael really really gets desperate and Unfortunately, if we've learned nothing from Phyllis's wedding, it's that Michael plus microphone equals horrible, horrible sadness. Excuse me. If you can hear me, I would like you to look around at all these companies and know that none of them are good enough for you. H&R Block, Frank Regan Funeral Home, the Air Force? Air Force is cool. The refreshments? Bush League, you know, that's not what you want. Dunder, that, okay, I see security is coming, so I just want to say, come to Dunder Mifflin. Dunder Mifflin, a great place to work. Anybody, show of hands, anybody want to intern at Dunder Mifflin? We do not offer college credit. We cannot give you any sort of pay, but it is a really fun work environment. Anybody, show of hands, damn it. So, I mean, again, Michael's last-ditch desperate attempt to try to get somebody, anybody, to be his intern and, uh, once again, comes up empty. Well, it shows also that Michael, he doesn't value money or college credit as something that you wouldn't want to have a job. It's, I want to have fun. And that's, Michael Scott, say what you will about the man, but he has a lot of fun on the job. He's always making jokes with people, and they love his humor. So, in his little world, that's the most important thing about the job. So, well, well, as we've always said, I mean, to him, this—it's not a job. It's a family. It's uh, it's friends. It's fun. 
And so he can't understand why someone would possibly not want to be there. I mean, come on. <laughs> they have that shot of that creepy-ass guy. There's, like, this funeral home guy there. Did you go to Frank Reagan funeral home when you went to, when you went to Scranton for the uh, convention? Um, I'm not sure. There was one funeral home that was in town there that had up a sign. That, That's uh, it. Oh, is that the one? Okay. Yeah, I took a picture of that actually. Um, so that was—I I didn't make the connection, but uh, they had some some signs, some corporate memo. I, I love those little Scranton details. Well, yeah, I mean, you figure that—that's uh, what they were there for. All the writers came out there for a reason to drive around town and uh, write down little little businesses and, and come up with ideas. So, so there you go. Um, you know, he can't conceive of the fact that anyone wouldn't want to work there, and that's, I guess, the ultimate sadness. That job, I guess, isn't really that great of a job. And, you know, he maybe doesn't have the greatest life and doesn't have the greatest job and didn't go to college and uh, <laughs> no one really likes him and uh, all the rest. But just when you think that he might learn something from this experience, he, of course, does not. Today I did something stupid. I questioned myself, and I will never do that again. Because I look at somebody like Jim Halpert, and I think that guy could do anything he wants to do. He could do anything, and he chooses to work here selling paper. Just like me. Yeah, kiss her. Kiss her good. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about the whole weird, creepy ass <laughs> Kiss <laughs> are good stuff there, but you know what? I, I, there's a little little emotion in there where he says, just like me, he wants to feel that you know he looks at Jim as a super great guy and accomplished guy, and he's chosen to work at Dunder Mifflin. Not not like Jim is a total utter slacker who has just sort of been there and stayed there for a woman. No, he's choosing to be there to love Dunder Mifflin, just like Michael, and unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's good that he hasn't had his world shattered. But like I said, I think that next next episode we are uh, we're gonna see Philly Jim maybe take off or something happen, and uh, maybe Michael's world will come crashing down. You know, Steve Jobs is famous for having this reality distortion field where when he comes into a room, people's minds will change and they'll start thinking like Steve and, and agree <laughs> to things and all that. I think Michael Scott has a reality distortion field. The problem is is that nothing goes in or out of the reality distortion field. Michael is in his own little cocoon and just views things a little bit differently. Jim could work anywhere, and he wants to work here just like me. And as you've noted, that's completely not the reason why Jim is there. Well, I still, but I still like that connection, though, because we have seen Michael and Jim bond a lot over the last year and a half or two years, really, um... We always like those moments, Benny Hunter Christmas, Booze Cruise, uh, Survivor Man, where they actually kind of come together. And so I think they do have some things in common. And Oh, no doubt. But that's not why Jim is working there. Right, right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into the two deleted scenes. And like we said, uh, first half of the deleted scene really, really adds a lot of kind of humanity, adds a lot of, gives Michael, uh, you know, it doesn't make him seem so mental. I guess, at the job fair, and then the second half, well, it sort of turns that thing around. Well, kids today have a very short attention span. They are into texting and video games and sex, and they just, they get distracted easily. And today, they are being distracted by the other booths. <clears throat> hey there. Michael Scott? 
Regional Manager, Dunder Mifflin. Brett Bailey, nice to meet you. That is a very firm handshake. Ow! Ow! <laughs> Killing my hand there. Yeah. <laughs> so, what is your poison? You like uh, sales, accounting, customer service? What do sales. You like? uh, sales would be cool. Sales is and could be very, very cool. If you like paper and you love to laugh, this is the place for you. Okay. Right here. We have a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. This is one of our staff. This is Pam Beasley, receptionist extraordinaire. Hey, Pam. Check that out, huh? Hi, nice to meet you. Pretty nice. Yeah. She sits there all day, okay. gets to look at her. Why don't you hold out your hand? Tell me what you feel. Paper. That is called card stock. That's what you're mm -hmm. feeling. Now, what you're feeling inside is confusion, butterflies, exhilaration. You're thinking, Am I good enough for this job? Do I have what it takes? I think we both know the answer. We'll find that out together. You can keep that. Are you sure? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Don't fold it, though. We have mm -hmm. the Dundies, my birthday, those blowouts, and it's sexy. It's sort of a sexy atmosphere, you know? The other day in the parking lot, I actually found a condom. So... I'm meaning to ask you, do you know who that was? So okay, sexy, well, it was it's nice fun. meeting you. I'm going to take off. Hey, you yeah. know what? Coincidence, I am going to go for a little stroll myself. Are you psyched about the summer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay, well, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Okay, be my guest. Thanks. And do your worst. <laughs> oh, hey, oh, come on. So I forgot to mention that my old temp is now my boss. So it gives you an idea how quickly you can move up. Yeah, I get it. Okay, I'm not interested. Stop following me around. You're really starting to creep me out. One other thing I want to do. Look, I was just being polite. I don't want to waste my life selling paper for your stupid company, okay? Harsh, man. That's that's pretty harsh. I got to say, a few good lines in there that made me chuckle. Um... The thing about the condom on the parking lot is so disgusting. It is very disgusting. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sexy atmosphere. Oh, God. So, so do you think Michael feels like he's wasted his life? Wow, that was really harsh. Maybe that played in with his uh, speech there where he says that he was doubting himself. So, I mean, like we said at the beginning there, it, it seemed like he was really working his sales magic on this kid and then just kind of flips around. Uh, and I, I do love the, the the line where he gives the piece of paper away after Pam had driven back to the office to get that one piece of paper. I don't know why they wouldn't have just brought, you know, <laughs> just a, a little bit of paper, and then they could have given that away as a little keepsake and as a reminder, and then they could have just replenished it with one piece. The one piece of paper metaphor actually works. It's just, what kind of idiot only brings one piece of paper? <laughs> Well, it's uh, Michael Scott. Well, Michael, I love that scene. We didn't play that before. But Michael blames it on Pam, and then Pam goes off. Michael, do you remember when I said, "Are you sure?" And then you said, "Pam, Pam, Pam," and then you sneezed in my tea. Yeah. He's like, uh, "No, that's why we need the you know, some smarter interns around here." All right. Well, only one plot line left, and uh, just a few clips here. Uh, Dwight is left alone in the office in charge when everyone else is gone. So Jim's gone, Andy's gone, Kevin's gone. Michael's gone, Pam and Oscar are out of the office, and Dwight is left with the rest of the rejects. And, you know, uh, I guess they bring up a good question here. Guys, do we have to stay all day? Can't we just go? Yeah, and I finished my work months ago. 
It has come to my attention that some of you have forgotten who is in charge here. When Michael is gone, Jim is in charge. When Jim is gone, Andy and I are in charge. When Andy is gone, you answer to me. Excuse me, where do you think you're going? No, Stanley, do not walk out that door. If you walk out that door, so help me, I will... He left. Last time I checked, the American Workday ends at 5 p.m. You will all stay at your desks until that time. Or you will suffer the consequences. What consequences? I will tell on you. You know, that uh, directly contradicts the org chart that we saw. Dwight actually admits the fact that uh, he's subordinate. Well, he's subordinate to, my, to Michael and to Jim, but he's not subordinate to Andy. He's at the same level as Andy. Well, still, uh, on his org chart, Andy was much, much lower than Oh, Dwight. Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> no, the org chart. But, of course, the org chart is, you know, through in his lens, so it doesn't reflect actual org chart reality. Like a lot of people, of course, like a lot of office workers, yeah, let's get the hell out of here. And it makes sense for Meredith. It makes sense for Kelly. And Creed. Exactly, because he's actually he finished his work months ago. Um, <laughs> and Angela. It, it actually makes sense for everyone to leave except for Stanley and Phyllis, right? Well, yeah, because if a sales environment, if you're not calling and making those sales, and especially if Dunder Mifflin Infinity isn't working, you're not going to get paid on your commissions. Maybe this explains why Dunder Mifflin isn't doing too well when even the top sales only use right at the dot of 5 o'clock. Well, uh, but I agree with you. Phyllis and Stanley, they could have had it easy. They could have gotten a lot of work done and maybe you know, made their a monthly quota all in one day because Michael wasn't around distracting him. But no, they decided to leave. Kind of an interesting point that I want to talk about this here is that the last few weeks, and one of the things that I've said that I've really liked about these episodes is the fact that We've been seeing Dwight as the master, uh, you know, the super competent guy with, uh, you know, scoring with the ladies and then being the big office dynamo and flipping Andy's car and, and all that stuff. And this episode was a little bit of a return, I guess, to the uh, sort of loser, wimpy Dwight here. Uh, mm-hmm. No one's mm-hmm. no one's very impressed. And his last <laughs> threat there, he's going to tell and uh, that is exactly what he does. And unfortunately, he doesn't get quite the reaction he hoped for. Extension 128. Hiya, Palm Guinness Creed. Say we're going to ditch this bitch. You in? No. Are you out? Pumpkin's out. Let's go, gang. What do you want? Michael, I know you're swamped. I just thought you should know that everyone in the office has left except for Angela and I. Do not worry, though. I have taken down their names, and I have docked them a personal day. Who cares? I'm not there. Jim's not there. Why should they have to be there? So, what else is up? Mike. He just stares, like, at that little piece of paper. He's, like, so crushed. That, that was pretty pathetic. And I, but th- those are the moments where I actually like Michael Scott a lot. You know, who cares, dummy? You know, that sort of thing. And, uh, again, that's the pecking order. Jim's not there. I'm not there. No one else matters. This is kind of an interesting payoff here. I, I, for, well, before we talk about that, though, I, I love that Creed stuff in there. He calls her on the phone. <laughs> you in, you in Pumpkin? <laughs> no. Oh, you out? <laughs> Pumpkin's out. Let's ditch this bitch. <laughs> Pretty classic Creed stuff there. Well, and that leads into, like, a, we talked about earlier at the beginning of the show, that then the rest of the day, however many hours that is there, that Angela and Dwight spend in silence is the only two people in the office 
um, just building that romantic tension, man. And we just keep waiting for something to happen and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then it's 5 o'clock and then they're out the door. So I'm hoping that we find out that there's some kind of, you know, that after that they went to uh, spend the night at the beet farm or something. And well, well, we'll know if Angela comes in wearing a pair of glasses in the next episode. Exactly. Uh, I, I, you know, I thought it was hilarious how she is having to wait in line for the copier when there's only two people in the office. Yeah, it was a nice visual gag, and a lot of the stuff was visual, and uh, it, it's also kind of funny how they they shot it. It's like so obvious if. If you're aware of the pregnancy thing, it's just so obvious that they're shooting her <laughs> to hide the pregnancy because every shot of her, all you see is her head. No, I agree. I, it is very obvious if you don't, if you know what you're looking for. But uh, I think fairly well done, given the material they have to work with. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fact. Oh, damn it, this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Go ahead. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. All right, Kevin. Well, um, we it's just kind of late, and we haven't talked about this yet, and um, I'm sure everybody knows by now, but uh, just in case you didn't read any of the blogs or see any of the news items or see People Magazine or whatever the case may be, uh, yes, Angela Kinsey finally had her baby on May 3rd, a girl named Isabel Ruby, so everything is back to normal and uh, back to being small and petite, and we will no longer have to hide her massive belly, I guess, next season. <laughs> yes, congratulations to Angela and everyone in the family. Also in the news, get ready to start seeing a lot of Steve Carell as he's promoting Get Smart, which opens on June 20th. Uh, you can get started by going to GetSmartMovie.com warnerbrothers.com uh, that's actually a pretty interesting website which tells you a lot about the characters from the movie chaos and control and there's some games and all the other stuff so it's, if you're trying to get ready for Steve Carell's summer blockbuster that is a good place to start and speaking of Steve Carell blockbusters here I hear rumors of Anchorman 2 being floated around Kevin yeah Adam McKay who's the director and writer of that movie was interviewed over at Collider.com and he said that he talked to Will Ferrell, and they said that they are going to do an Anchorman 2 in maybe a couple of years. They definitely want to do it. The only thing is, can they get the cast together? Which, and the quote was, which is always kind of a tricky thing. But I think that with the cast, we're all friends, so yeah, we want to do it. Now, of course, you'd think that David Koechner, Paul Rudd, Christina Applegate, probably not so hard to get back in for a sequel. So they must be talking about Steve Carell, whose movie career is doing pretty good. I guess we'll see after Get Smart, but <laughs> I would think that Carell should be... If Carell's not up for Anchorman 2, assuming the script is good, uh, he's crazy because that would be great to get back into that role. And a lot of people still love his role in Anchorman as kind of the seminal movie moment for, for Steve Carell. So we'll have to see. And this is a very strongly worded guarantee that they're going to do Anchorman 2. And I guess after the box office bomb that was semi-pro. I guess Will Ferrell's looking for a, a big hit. So, All right. We'll see. Maybe they can make uh, Pearl McKay the movie or something. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, now, speaking of Steve Carell as well, he is in this month's issue of Playboy magazine. Uh, what? And I, I do only read it for the articles, Kevin, so that's how I found out about this. Uh, no, actually... <laughs> Uh, just it, the blurb, you go to their website, they have just a little tiny blurb here uh, about 
the interview and he kind of just sat down, of course, for uh, promoting Get Smart. And, and one of the questions, really the only question that they had on the website here was um, the interviewer asked, what was the core of Michael Scott's behavior? Uh, does he crave the spotlight? And uh, Krill's answer to that was, well, sure, but everyone wants a moment to shine. It's a very human quality. Uh, even the most reserved and shy people love the spotlight every once in a while. Um, it, he says, uh, Michael is the focus of the documentary. Camera crews follow him around all day. He embraces it, and it gives him a sense of importance he would not otherwise have. It's kind of the best and the worst thing that's ever happened to him. Um, so why the worst thing is just that he makes himself try to act uh, for the cameras? Yeah, and the fact that he he thinks that he's so important when he really isn't, and maybe if he got a little humility, he would behave better. Or maybe go out with the landlady and not be an asshole, perhaps. All right. Oh, wow. There you go. All right, well, uh, again, continuing on with our movie discussion here, the trailer for Rain Wilson's next movie, The Rocker, debuted this past week. A um, lot of, looks sort of like Superbad meets uh, Spinal Tap, perhaps. Mm -hmm. One of the film's writers is Wally Walidarski, who I recognize as one of the writers from the early years of The Simpsons. So um, I got to say, Kevin, I'm, I'm not too sure about this film. The trailer is full of a lot of, uh, getting hit in the nuts and falling off things kind of humor so I'm not sure uh, I know that there was some eye candy in that for you though well of course Emma Stone from Superbad she is very cute and uh, Christina Applegate speaking her she's in that movie as well and I kind of liked it but yeah I agree with you it, it, it's not, I'm not sure what this movie is trying to be is it trying to be a satire or is it trying to be just you know physical gags but I thought there was funny stuff, and I'm looking forward to, you know, a big screen adaptation of, of a really good story for, for Rain Wilson uh, after the crazy, unbelievable dialogue in Juno. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you could say that that was a success for him since that movie has been so successful. Uh, I don't know if any of his other films really have, have done much for him or for the box office. So, yeah, I mean, this this is kind of his first really big sort of starring role, isn't it? Um, yeah. In the, in the film, if, if you don't know, in the film, basically, he plays a drummer that was in a very popular 80s hair metal band who is then thrown out of the band, and he languishes in obscurity for the, the last 20 years until his nephew begs him to uh, play the drums for their prom gig with his band, and then that leads into a wild and woolly, you know, whatever, I guess. <laughs> I'll have to see what happens. But Yeah, if, if I was David Spade, I'd say, I loved that movie the first time when it was called School of Rock. Oh, but, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I'm sure you'll hear that when the movie comes out. All right, well, well, go ahead. Moving on to other news, if you are a fan of The Office and you love your portable video player, you are in luck because NBC is now in the Zune Marketplace. Yes, if, you are one of the, if you're one of the few people that owns the Microsoft Zune player, you can now get NBC shows, including Office, for purchase. Of course, most people don't have the Zune, so this is really not news that means much to anything. Well, uh, what really got a lot of attention on that, though, Kevin, was the fact that uh, NBC was apparently talking out of turn, claiming that Microsoft, part of their contract with letting Microsoft sell these episodes was that Microsoft was agreeing to install some kind of filter 
uh, piracy filter uh, on their players that would detect whether or not you were playing an authorized video somehow, and that they would disable your video player. So, you know, if you, if, if you were someone that was downloading through iTunes and now you've had to resort to, you know, BitTorrent or whatever to get your Office episodes, then mm-hmm. it wouldn't play for you. Uh, Microsoft, though, came out and strongly denied the fact that they were doing this. But, um, you know, it's, it, it leaves a pretty bad taste in your mouth, I guess. Yeah, those guys at NBC, man, they are just on a streak, aren't they? <laughs> I was going to say, you know, they're doing really well. i got to say, I'm really impressed with Hulu.com. We we kind of made fun of it and, and thought it was a little stupid name and everything else, and we're really concerned about how it was going to work, and it was in beta for so long. But I, I'm really impressed with that service. I think it works really re- really well, and so I, they're doing some things right. But Well, I would say that compared to some of the other sort of streaming TV options from some of the other networks, it is fairly good. But I would much rather watch my episodes kind of on demand through, you know, a file that I could take with me and play any time and not have to have commercials in it and uh, be able to more easily access, go back and forth than you can with Hulu. Um, speech, speaking of which, if you are an iPhone or iPod Touch user, NBC.com now has a way for you to stream episodes of The Office to those devices. And I am uh, an iPhone owner, and I tried this out. Bad news. The video quality is not very good. It's very pixelated, and the sound got out of sync with the video almost immediately. Yeah. But hey, it's free. Well, no, Kevin, is that something you can do over the phone, or do you have to use Wi-Fi to get that to work? Well, that's the other thing, is that the video quality was was really bad even over Wi-Fi. I didn't even try it over the Edge network. So, uh, you know, I guess this is falls into the it's better than nothing category, but, you know, I'd, I'd so rather pay $2 an episode, and NBC's just taking that $2 and just, you know, throwing it away because I'm not giving it to them. Well, I guess they know best, Kevin. Uh, well, we had kind of a, you know, we've, we were talking the other week about politics and maybe who some of the characters would vote for, Kevin, and you said that, of course, Dwight would, uh, would be voting for John McCain, and in a bit of serendipity this past week on the on the Daily Show with John Stewart, who did we happen to have on there, John McCain, and who did he happen to say would be his vice presidential nominee? Well, let's take a listen here. Listen, I know you've been wondering who my uh, vice presidential candidate will be. Let's hear it. it written down. You ready? Mm-hmm. You heard it here first. All right. Dwight Schrute. You do a great job for that is for pandering of the highest. Re- Can you I tell do you a something? Great job do you want me to? Scott. Do you want me to win you the election right now? Yes, sir. I'm going to blow your mind. You know who your running mate should be if you want to win this election? Besides John Stewart, Senator Hillary Clinton. If you chose Senator Clinton, you would you would win this election. I'm not saying it'd be uh, uh, necessarily, you know, something I would like, but the. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just saying. Don't you think that's a great idea? That's one I've never contemplated. <laughs> I love how Stewart calls him out on that right away. That is pandering of the highest order. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? I There's an old episode of The Simpsons where Homer goes on the tour of the Duff Brewery, and they play a, a commercial of a John F. Kennedy endorsing Duff, and then they show Richard Nixon also endorsing Duff, and Homer's response to that is, that man never drank a Duff in his life. Well, John McCain <laughs> has never watched an episode of The Office in his life. Boo on you, John McCain. 
Well, that's a harshly <laughs> worded statement. <laughs> well, let's look forward to some other things that are happening this fall. Season 4 DVDs. Well, according to TVShowsOnDVD.com, there has been some uncovering of hidden information deep in a summer giveaway promotion that seems to imply that the Season 4 DVD sets of The Office will arrive in stores on September 9th. Now, of course, Season 3 arrived in September, so this isn't hardly a big stretch, but uh, getting some confirmation that those DVDs will be coming out in September, which means we're going to be approaching our Longfellow summer with no new DVDs to watch. <laughs> well, the sad thing is that the break between uh, the finale and the new season will actually, I think, be shorter than the break from the strike. So it'll be here before you know it, Kevin. Kate Flannery talked to Zaptuit.com this past week and offered these brief tidbits about the finale. She said, all I can say is it's going to be a monster. So many unexpected things happen in the finale. It's so good. I think we're more excited than the fans. I really do. I did have some really fun scenes with Rain Wilson, so it was really, really fun. No bats or anything in my hair, but yeah, some really great stuff. I think you're going to be excited. Well, you know, that is a high hyperbole. Remember the last time we heard that was for dinner party? So, <laughs> But I, I agree. I'm looking forward to the finale in a lot of ways. All right. Well, uh, let's take a look at the cast blogs here. Uh, Jenna Fisher's most recent blog update on MySpace talked about her appearance as a lead guest on The Tonight Show. Uh, also talked about the upcoming June release of her next film, The Promotion, yet again starring with John C. Riley, and who she said she would like to star in all of her films with. So there you go. The trailer is available for uh, for the promotion at at movies.aol.com. Yeah, that movie's been getting a lot of buzz, but it's certainly going to be a low-profile release. I certainly hope it does well. Certainly better than Walk Hard, which deserved better. We have some cast appearances coming up this week. Rain Wilson will be on the Tonight Show on Wednesday, May fourteenth. And Steve Carell will be on Conan O'Brien on the 13th, and will be hosting the season finale of Saturday Night Live on Saturday, May 17th. We might actually have to watch it this week. This is it. What we've been waiting for. Next episode, our one-hour season finale entitled Goodbye Toby, airing Thursday, May 15th. It's Toby's goodbye party at Dunder Mifflin, and Michael demands a huge celebration that matches the joy in his heart. Angela sick of Michael's unreasonable last-minute demands, refuses, and so Michael turns to Phyllis to take over the party planning committee. Meanwhile, Dwight and Meredith haze the new HR woman, Holly, played by Oscar winner, or Oscar nominee, Amy Ryan. So, sounds pretty juicy there, the uh, Angela-Phyllis feud itself. Worth watching. Whoa. Video iPod. I gave Ryan an iPod. I know this Russian website where you can download songs for two cents a piece. Okay, it's the iPod. iPod. Everyone wants the iPod. This is awesome. I know. It's totally going to change the way I work out. The iPod. Maybe I should have taken the iPod. I want the iPod. Oh, shoot. Well, this last week, Kevin, we had uh, a little video posted on Hulu and uh, on NBC.com that was uh, taken as they were filming the current episode this week, Job Fair. And uh, a little musical tribute here, Creed and Ed Helms' serenade Angela and her unborn child. And I know a lot of us were uh, kind of missing the musical moments in The Office lately. And this really, I don't know, I, this 
catchy little ditty, I gotta say, and uh, Ed Helms is a freaking monster on the banjo. That's all I gotta say. Two, one, two, and...
dude, tell me that Ed Helms is not kick ass. I guess musical preferences aside, I do I have to admit the he's got some pretty talented fingers there once the blisties are gone. And <laughs> exactly. it's certainly it's great that these cast members obviously have a lot of affection for each other and it's always great to be able to see some of those insights and the you know, the cast blogs where they talk about doing stuff together and and things like that. So yeah, that's it's very cool stuff there. Uh, even if you're not a fan of the music itself. <laughs> well, if you are a fan of the music, uh, our friend Creed, this last month, uh, has released uh, a self-titled album that you can download, if you'd like, from Amazon.com. I'm not sure if it's available in physical form, but I know that they are selling it there on their MP3 store. So check it out if you want a new album full of Creed's newest hits. <laughs> There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. All right, well, Brent emailed us with his thoughts on our discussion last episode regarding who would be getting married in the finale. Uh, Brent says, For the proposal, Occam's Razor, maybe? I wouldn't pet past the writers to lead us away and then stick with the story that makes the most sense. I guess he's referring to Jim and Pam hooking up. I'm actually a little surprised that the proposal will, supposedly, end up in the finale. Jim and Pam's relationship has been a key to the show, but Jim had the ring a week after they started dating and a week after breaking off a previous relationship. Seems like a long time. Hmm. I don't know. That's an interesting theory. We'll have to see. I, I think that Brent might be onto something there, but uh, yeah, they, I don't they, know. They just can't. It, it, I, I can't accept that they'll get engaged. I, I can't see it. Well, Seth wrote in about the cold open. He said, I love the open. It was hysterical to hear how Michael planned to inject some young-blooded interns to euthanize the office. This episode was not very funny in my opinion. I thought that I'd have more laughs considering that Jim, Kevin, and Andy were out on the golf course. Andy's blistered hands didn't provide the humor I thought would um, it would be for those golf scenes. It seemed too contrived for my liking. I did like Andy's golf cart crash and the line, I fell in the sand trap, to be almost metaphoric. Everyone seemed to be weighted down and stuck in this episode. Dwight was stuck in his uncomfortable sounds with Angela. Jim was stuck in over his head with a uh, bagging the sail, and Michael was stuck trying to obtain an intern. I felt more frustrated than entertained with all of it. So yeah, I think we've uh, sort of agreed with you on some of those things. There definitely, Seth. Well, Matt, not me, by the way. It seems <laughs> posted this on the blog page. He said, "It seems like they've painted themselves into a corner, though." Pam wants to start with her graphic design, which makes perfect sense for the character. Jim's accustoming himself to the job, but Michael's speech about Jim being good at anything he'd try to do makes it seem that if Pam went, Jim would go too. Because without Pam there, Jim doesn't have anything tying him to Scranton. It doesn't make sense for Jim to stay in Scranton at the job he only just started trying, uh, trying to do and let the person he's planning on marrying go off somewhere. He'd absolutely go with her. But you can't write them out of the show, so they have a problem. How do you take your two most likable normal characters out of the show without killing it? Spinoff starring the two of them would absolutely be a failure. So, yeah, again, we kind of agreed on, on some of those things, especially the spinoff. All right, Julia sent us a quick email. I liked the episode this week. It had so many oh-my-God moments. 
And when Michael said Jim could do anything, it did get a little dusty. Well, emotional appeal there from Julia. Well, I did it. Like I said, I like that line as well. Um, I like the connection. I like the bond between the two characters. And hopefully we'll get some more of that bonding in the finale this week. All right. Our friend Historicast had this to say. There were some really funny moments and definite story movers, which is good. Though the scene where Jim explained how he supposedly got the sale was kind of a hack job, story-wise, in my opinion. No, I think that that's how you make the sale. I, I think that that's very, very believable. Well, I, I mean, the, it, guy, the guy would not have gone on the golf outing if he didn't have at least a sense that he might be willing to move his business. Well, maybe he was referring to the fact that it was all it was all tell, not show. We didn't actually see Jim sell it. He just told us that he sold it. Oh, I think we saw plenty in the episode to explain how Jim was making the sale on the guy. I don't know if we need to see the mechanics of the sale. All right. Well, I guess. I, you know, it's that old maxim, show not tell. So maybe you're right there. I don't know. Uh, Randy had a question. He said, how can Michael tell that the paper was not Dunder Mifflin? Do all Dunder Mifflin paper carry obscene watermarks? I'm getting mixed up whether or not Dunder Mifflin manufactures the paper or simply ships the paper. Don't they carry hammer mill paper, as was noted in the convention? Does Dunder Mifflin simply rebrand the paper? Uh, these are good questions from Randy. I, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what, because let's, let's try to piece some of this together. Um, in, as you said, in the, in the Watermark episode, we had Creed going to the factory, you know, supposedly monitoring it being made. So mm -hmm. that was implying that they were making their own. But then again, they get to mention that he got the account with the hammer mill paper uh, to sell, apparently. And in the Sons and Daughters Bring Your Daughters to Work Day episode, we had uh, Michael basically explaining that he was the middleman between the uh, manufacturers and, and the sell, you know, and, and the buyers. So I don't know. Very Is that a wholesale, <laughs> wholesale paper, maybe? Could be. Could be. And then maybe they probably OEM paper, right? They get somebody else to make the paper and they sell it under their brand or something like that, and that hence the factory. I don't know. Yeah, that could be. All right, well, too many questions. We'll have to uh, ask Greg Daniels and the writing staff, I guess, about that stuff. All right, um, Aurora had this to say. Uh, she said, well, I agree it wasn't the funniest episode ever. I really like this episode. I would... I like taking some time to do some smaller character work, and it really made me feel that they're building to some big things in the finale. I appreciate how low volume the emotional stuff was. Um, Pam thinking hard about what she really wants from her job. Jim stepping up, even if it involves putting himself out there. Dwight and Angela simmering tension. It all seems real and not contrived like the triangle crap from last year. Now, it's kind of funny because then later on, Aurora came back and posted this on the blog page. Uh, on a second viewing, I'm not into this episode. It's probably the worst of the season. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. She's a woman I, of two I, minds. I think mean, that's great. I mean, that's that's the internet in action right there. You know, <laughs> giving insight into Aurora's mindset at different points in time. So thank you, Aurora, for posting <laughs> multiple times on the blog page. Exactly. Well, Lara is one of the West Coast chatters that we've enjoyed chatting with in the past few weeks. She wrote in, just because we didn't see Duangela doing anything in the alone time at the office doesn't mean they didn't do anything. Hmm. Yeah, do you think that they slept together after they went home? Well, that, that I mean, I could buy that if they come back in the finale, I could buy that they did hook up again, perhaps. Um, I don't know about the whole sleeping together thing. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's how far they're 
relationship has progressed or not. Yeah, but. It would seem unlikely. Well, anyway, Laura continues, Michaels is a pud. <laughs> Michael is a pud, enough said. <laughs> she also wrote, Joe, go, Jim, go. This boy can do nothing wrong in my eyes. I'm wondering if we will see his big talk with Pam's parents in the finale. Andy, Andy, Andy. First the nipples, now the blisties. I, too, hated golf lessons, but I didn't mind not on with the sailing club. Overall, 5 out of 10 for me. It had me torqued for the final. Yeah, I was curious about that. Was it 5 out of 10 or was it 5 out of 5? Five? 5 out of 10. Okay, well. But on the West Coast, we have a five, uh, 10 scale. Oh, okay. See, now, one, I, can't, I came in there looking for you guys last time uh, on Thursday. Where? What, how? When are you in there? What time? I came in uh, a little late, so but we we were there uh, by the end of the show and and, and talking to several people uh, for uh, quite a bit after that. All right, well, keep that in mind, then, folks. Come into the chat room on Thursday and spread the love with other that's what she said listeners. All right, well, Shannon had this to say: said I enjoyed the episode, even if it wasn't that funny. Uh, I still was engaged and wanted to see what was going to happen next. I think some of the problems that the writer's strike has forced the episodes to be heavier in plot and character development than they would have been otherwise. Uh, yeah, and we kind of talked about that as well the last few weeks. It's, it seems mm-hmm. it's hard for me to say, hard for me sometimes to criticize some things that are, that are going on when, yeah, they're working under some constraints, so you got to cut them some slack, I guess. She said, I am thoroughly enjoying Pam's evolution in character and I agree, and we've seen that kind of growing up through season three and a little bit here in season four. And obviously in the job fair, she's seems to be making a big move uh, in the finale. So, again, what's going to happen? Yeah, I'm enjoying Pam this season as well. Now, we heard from Aurora. She said that this was the worst episode of the season. Well, Kat has a different opinion. She wrote, I might be unpopular with this proclamation, but I thought job fair was the best episode of the season. Thursday night, Kat, or... Friday morning cat, as I'm here in the UK, really loved it. It seemed pretty season two-ish to me. Right. Well, I agree that there were some good season two moments. Like I said, the uh, Jim Pam stuff was very, very effective for me. I like the Dwight stuff in there as well in the office. Um, you know, the other stuff, I guess we've talked enough about that. So, all right. That's about going to do it for us this week, Kevin. Only one more episode left, one more week. Sad, sad day. All right, Big well, one-hour season finale. <laughs> yeah, extra double work for the editing and, and the clips and everything else. Curse you, <laughs> office guys. All right, well, join us in about a week then for episode 45, Goodbye, Toby. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to Podcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at TWSSpodcast.com. If you have a chance, leave positive feedback on iTunes and spread the word in the various The Office-related forums. Every little bit helps. Like I said before, don't forget to join us in the chat room immediately after the show on Thursday. I'll cover the first shift, East Coast, the Central Time Zone, the Mountain Time Zone, I guess, and then you're out there with the Pacific folks, Kevin. Go to the TWSSpodcast.com, hit the green Chat Now button, and start talking to other fans. Check out Kevin's blog over at fratpackpodcast.com and subscribe to his podcast through the site or through iTunes. Music for this episode is provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember, head on over to nbc.com slash the office during the week for additional deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, and more. And once again, Kevin, thanks for joining me here at the Water Cooler this week. 
Oh, it's always a pleasure, Matt. All right, take it easy. in the sand trap. I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you for your time and drive safe. Pumpkins out. Let's go, gang. <laughs>